this week's ACCP Emergency Medicine PRN Journal Club presentation. I'm your host, Christian Kroll, an emergency medicine and ICU pharmacist at the University of Iowa Hospital and Clinics. To view this recorded presentation, head to our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash at ACCP EMED PRN. And for PRN members, slides can be found under the business document section on the ACCP Emergency Medicine PRN website. Good afternoon, everyone. I have the opportunity to introduce our first Journal Club presenter, Dr. Kyle Hess. Dr. Hess is the current PGY2 Emergency Medicine Pharmacy resident at Mayo Clinic Rochester. He will be presenting the journal article titled IV Thrombolysis with Altaplace at 0.6 milligrams per kilo in patients with ischemic stroke taking direct oral anticoagulants. Dr. Hess, please feel free to share your slides and get us started. Before we jump into the article itself, I'm going to start out by reviewing some background on the basic mechanism of action of thrombolytics, uh, some landmark trials in stroke literature throughout the years, and then comparing and contrasting the Japanese stroke guidelines where this trial took place to our current American guidelines. Starting out with the mechanism of action of thrombolytics, lytics such as altaplase or tenecteplase or ritoplase are recombinant tissue plasminogen activators. What this means is within a blood clot, these agents bind to fibrin and are able to convert nearby plasminogen to its activated form of plasmin. This activated plasmin is then able to dissolve fibrin within the blood clot, leading to a dissolution of the thrombus, um, and this is potentially beneficial in disease states such as acute ischemic stroke or myocardial infarction, where you can then reperfuse vital organs that you're targeting in those disease states. Altaplase has been studied in multiple landmark trials for acute ischemic stroke throughout the past couple of decades. One of the first trials is NINS2, published in 1995. In this trial, we studied our standard dose of altaplase of 0.9 milligrams per kilogram for patients with acute ischemic stroke presenting within three hours of symptom onset. This trial kind of gave us our standard for outcomes we look at um, for both safety and efficacy of lytics in acute ischemic stroke, where the authors looked at improved functional outcome at three months defined by a modified Rankin scale. And then for safety, they looked at symptomatic intracerebral hemorrhage defined as an increase in NIH stroke score of at least four due to intracerebral hemorrhage. What the authors found in this trial is that altaplase compared to placebo was associated with improved functional outcomes with the number needed to treat of just eight. However, that did come with the trade-off of an increase in symptomatic intracerebral hemorrhage with a number needed to harm of 17. Then later in 2008, ECAS-3 was published. This trial looked at the same dose of altaplase, however, at a later time period of three to four and a half hours after symptom onset for acute ischemic stroke, looked at similar outcomes of functional outcomes at three months and symptomatic intracerebral hemorrhage at 36 hours. And again, the authors did see an improvement in functional outcomes with altaplase. However, this was a little less pronounced with the number needed to treat of 15. Um, and again, you did see that increase in symptomatic intracerebral hemorrhage at 36 hours. In order to mitigate some of these safety outcomes, the Enchanted trial was published in 2016. 
This trial investigated alteplase at a lower dose of 0.6 milligrams per kilogram compared to our standard dose of 0.9 milligrams per kilogram. And with this lower dose of alteplase, we did see a reduction in rates of symptomatic intracerebral hemorrhage. However, this trial did fail to meet its non-inferiority margin for the lower dose of alteplase, which is likely why we don't see that low dose used in most Western guidelines. On this slide, you can see our current 2019 American Heart Association acute ischemic stroke guidelines. Inclusion criteria that would make patients a candidate for thrombolytics would be if they present within four and a half hours of symptom onset, um, and you have to obtain a CT to rule out any bleeding in the brain. Some basic contraindications for thrombolytics is if there's any bleeding within the inner cerebral space, if you have any intracranial abnormalities that occurred recently, typically within like the past three months. And then the big one that I'm going to highlight is if patients are on any form of anticoagulation, specifically if they're on a low molecular weight heparin within the past 24 hours, or if they're on a DOAC or drug thrombin inhibitor within the previous 48 hours. This contrasts in multiple ways to the current 2019 Japanese Stroke Society guidelines. You see a similar time window of four and a half hours from symptom onset for inclusion for thrombolytics. However, the Japanese guidelines recommend a lower dose of alteplase of 0.6 milligrams per kilogram for any patient presenting with acute ischemic stroke. And the presence of anticoagulation isn't necessarily a contraindication to receiving lytics. Specifically, patients are still candidates for thrombolytics, even if they're on anticoagulation, as long as they have an INR less than 1.7 and don't have a prolonged APTT greater than 1.5 times baseline. And with the 2019 update, they state that you shouldn't receive lytics if you had your last dose of DOAC within four hours, um, which is in contrast to our current recommendations of any DOACs within 48 hours. So based on these major differences between guidelines, you might be asking yourself, is it really safe to administer thrombolytics to patients on DOACs, or are you going to see skyrocketing rates of bleeding complications? And that's what our trial that we'll be discussing today aims to answer. Again, this was published just a couple months ago in the Journal of the American Heart Association. The specific objective of this study was to determine the safety of IV thrombolysis with alteplase at a low dose of 0.6 milligrams per kilogram for patients on DOACs before stroke onset. They aim to do this by comparing outcomes for patients on DOACs prior to administration of alteplase to outcomes of, pa of the patients who were not on any oral anticoagulation prior to receiving alteplase. This was a retrospective study that looked at data prospectively entered into the Japanese National Stroke Registry that occurred at a single center in Japan over about a 10-year period from March 2011 to January 2021. The primary outcome of interest was a safety outcome of symptomatic intracerebral hemorrhage within 36 hours of symptom onset. This was defined by an NIH stroke score increase of at least four due to the hemorrhage. The authors also looked at other secondary safety outcomes of any intracerebral hemorrhage at 36 hours or any major hemorrhage at 36 hours. Additionally, they looked at some secondary efficacy outcomes of mortality out to three months and modified Rankin scale at three months. Patients were included in the study if they were admitted with acute ischemic stroke, presented within seven days of symptom onset, and were administered alteplase at a dose of 0.6 milligrams per kilogram. Patients were excluded if they received any anticoagulation other than DOACs, or if they were on DOACs prior to admission but not, had not had their last dose for greater than 48 hours prior to admission. 
On the right hand of the slide, you can see the patient population that was initially screened. Um, there were 6,000 patients entered in that stroke registry over that 10-year period. Of those 6,000 patients, 915 received alteplase. After applying the exclusion criteria, you were left with a group of 40 patients who were on DOACs prior to administration of alteplase and a group of 753 patients who were not on any oral anticoagulation prior to admission of alteplase. On this slide, you can see a comparison of some of the baseline characteristics between groups. Some of the things I'll highlight is that the patients in the DOAC group actually had many factors that may be associated with a poorer prognosis, such as an increased age at baseline, um, a higher pre-morbid modified Rankin scale, higher NIH stroke score, so potentially more severe stroke in these patients, higher rates of endovascular therapy, and more of these patients had a prior stroke or TIA. Another thing that I'll highlight is the differences in stroke etiology between groups. So patients in the DOAC group had higher rates of cardioembolic stroke, which probably makes sense as many of these patients are probably on anticoagulants for atrial fibrillation, which would predispose them to the cardioembolic stroke. And then more patients in the group not on any oral anticoagulation had higher rates of large artery disease or small vessel occlusion. On this slide, I dig a little deeper into the characteristics of the patients in the DOAC group. On the left, you can see the specific DOAC regimen these patients were on. Something I'll highlight about these regimens is that probably the most common regimens I'm used to seeing here in the United States are a Pixaban at a dose of 5 milligrams twice daily or a Riberoxaban at a dose of 20 milligrams once daily. And that makes up a really low portion of the patients on DOACs in these studies. You see more patients on a less common dose of Apixaban 10 milligrams twice daily, which is higher than the dose we're used to, or more patients on Riberoxaban 10 milligrams daily, which is lower than the dose we're probably used to, as well as a lot of patients on Adoxaban or Dabigatran, which I'm not quite as used to seeing in my practice. On the right side of this slide, you can see the time from last DOAC dose to time of administration of Alteplase. I'll highlight that the biggest portion is in patients who received their last dose of DOAC 12 to 24 hours until they received the lytic, which that's going to be important because in this patient group, um, they probably already eliminated a significant amount of their DOAC they have circulating in their system. However, there is still a big portion of patients that presented 4 to 12 hours after last dose of DOAC, and even 10% of the patients who had their last DOAC dose less than 4 hours, which is now a contraindication with the 2019 update to the Japanese Stroke Society guidelines. For statistical analysis, the authors assess differences between cohorts using the Mann-Whitney U-test for continuous data, two-sided Fisher exact test for categorical data, and then they constructed a logistic regression model, which was adjusted for some pre-specified variables associated with poor outcomes, including age, sex, baseline NIH stroke score, and baseline aspect score. The authors also anticipated a low number of events, so to try and account for this, they used a statistical model called the Firth Penalized Likelihood Estimation Model. With that, we can move into the results of the trial, starting with the primary outcome of symptomatic intracerebral hemorrhage within 36 hours, defined as an increase in NIH stroke score of at least four due to the hemorrhage. For this primary outcome, you saw very similar rates between the two groups with a rate of 2.5% for patients who were on DOACs prior to admission compared to a rate of 2.4% for patients not on any anticoagulation. 
you see a similar outcomes for the other secondary safety outcomes as well. For, there is no significant difference in patients for any intracerebral hemorrhage within 36 hours, as well as no significant difference for rates of major hemorrhagic events. However, I will note that is numerically higher in the group of patients on DOAX. There is also no difference in rates of mortality at three months. And then looking at our secondary efficacy outcomes, uh, modified Rankin scale at three months was pretty similar between the two groups as well. On this slide, you can see the author's figure for distribution of modified Rankin scale at three months for both the group of patients on DOAX, as well as the patients not on any anticoagulation. And again, again, it appears fairly similar between the two groups. That'll bring us to the author's uh, discussion for this article. One of the first things they noted is that hemorrhagic complications such as hemorrhagic transformation is likely to occur most often in the group of patients who received alteplase within four hours of their last DOAC dose. This is because uh, DOACs likely reach peak plasma levels at around the two to four hour range, which is why this practice is now contraindicated with the new 2019 Japanese Stroke Society guidelines. Another thing that the authors identified is that in all five patients in the DOAC group who developed intracerebral hemorrhage, they all had large vessel occlusion on imaging. So this is potentially hypothesis generating and something to investigate further in the future um, as to a specific subgroup of patients who might be at higher risk of harm. The authors did acknowledge that they had a small sample size of patients, especially in the DOAC group, and they also acknowledged that they used a dose of alteplase of 0.6 milligrams per kilogram, which isn't a dose that's approved by most society guidelines outside of Japan. And one final discussion point that the authors had is that they used nonspecific coagulation assays, such as INR and APTT, to determine eligibility for lytics. And potentially in the future, uh, they could consider the use of more specific assays, such as DOAC plasma levels, or potentially even like a heparin anti-10ASA to determine eligibility for lytics. Based on the findings of this trial, the author's conclusion was that IV thrombolysis would be safely performed in patients on DOACs due to similar rates of symptomatic intracerebral hemorrhage and major bleeding compared to those patients not taking any anticoagulation. However, they do note that further research is likely warranted involving multi-center randomized controlled trials to confirm the results of this study. As far as my personal assessment of this trial, uh, this trial does have a few strengths, but many limitations. One strength I pulled out is uh, there's no clear safety signal showing harm in patients in the DOAC group. Uh, we didn't see skyrocketing rates of intracerebral hemorrhage or major bleeding, which is at least somewhat reassuring when we think about administering lytics to this patient population. I think the authors assessed appropriate outcomes that you see in a lot of the previous stroke literature of safety outcomes out to 36 hours of bleeding, as well as mortality and uh, functional outcomes with modified Rankin scale out to three months. Another thing that's potentially reassuring about this trial is that even though the DOAC group had many risk factors that were associated with hemorrhagic transformation, such as increased age at baseline, higher NIH stroke score, and higher rates of cardioembolic origin, you still didn't see a significant increase in symptomatic intracerebral hemorrhage compared to the group not on any anticoagulation. So again, somewhat reassuring. However, many limitations of this study uh, include the fact that it's a single center study it was a retrospective analysis, so there might be some selection bias in terms of who was selected on DOACs to receive alteplase. 
There is a very small sample size of patients on DOAX with a number of only 40, and the authors did not perform a power calculation, which is going to be particularly important when you have small event rates to begin with. So we don't really have any idea how many patients might have been needed to be administered thrombolytics to really see a difference between groups. And then something we've touched on a little bit already um, is a limitation of external validity of the patient population of this study. For one, the DOAC regimens that we saw in the study don't necessarily mirror what we commonly see here in the United States. So hard to extrapolate results to patients on a different DOAC regimen. Uh, the dose of place being 0.6 milligrams per kilogram not being approved in the U.S. makes it difficult to extrapolate to our standard dose of 0.9 milligrams per kilogram or even other lytics such as tenecteplase or retoplase, which are growing attraction uh, here within the United States at some institutions. And then another potential external validity point that's often discussed in the stroke literature is that the Japanese population has higher rates of small vessel disease compared to the Western population, which has higher rates of large vessel disease. This might mean that they have a lower clot burden and may be more amenable to a low dose of alteplase compared to the Western population where you might need the higher dose to really see efficacy. Based on these many limitations, I personally would not feel comfortable administering thrombolytics to my patients that are on DOAX prior to admission. Another reason that I wouldn't feel comfortable doing this is that this trial did give us a foundation showing that administration of thrombolytics is potentially safe in this pop patient population, but we have no idea how effective it actually is and if it actually improves functional outcomes for these patients. So I would like to see further trials comparing population of patients on DOAX who receive thrombolytics to population of patients who is also on DOAX not receiving thrombolytics. I agree with the author's assessment that further randomized controlled trials are needed to really determine if this practice is safe and then to further elaborate on the efficacy of administration of thrombolytics in patients on DOAX. And I think it would be interesting to see studies in the future explore outcomes in other thrombolytics such as tenecteplase or retoplase, as well as look at specific patient subgroups such as those receiving endovascular therapy or comparing those with large versus small vessel disease to further elaborate on is there a patient population population that particularly benefits or is particularly harmed by this therapy. Overall, at this time, I don't think this trial is practice changing for what we should do here in the United States. Um, however, it is hypothesis generating, and I'd be interested to see what outcomes we see in further trials in the future. I would like to thank my content mentor for this journal club, Aaron Vershevsky, as well as uh, other uh, preceptors I have here at Mayo Clinic that helped me throughout this process. And at this time, I can open it up to questions and discussions from the audience. Feel free to ask me any questions you have now, or you can find me on Twitter at KyleHessFarmD. Thanks, everyone. If you have enjoyed this presentation content and would like to hear more, subscribe via your favorite podcasting app. Additionally, make sure to check out our YouTube page for all recorded presentations. Thank you for listening to this week's ACCP Emergency Medicine Journal Club presentation. Join us weekly for review and discussion of new journal articles in emergency medicine. This podcast provides general information only and does not offer individualized medical or professional health care services, including pharmaceutical advice. The contents and materials in the podcast are not intended to be a substitute for inpatient pharmaceutical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. And the use of the contents and materials in the podcast does not constitute a pharmacist-patient relationship.
As a result, the information in and materials linked to this podcast are applied at the user or patient's own risk. Users or patients should consult their physician or personal healthcare professional. The user or patient should not ignore or delay seeking care because of something they heard on this podcast. In case of an emergency, the user or patient should contact their physician, call 911, or go to the nearest medical emergency facility. The views and statements expressed on this podcast are those of the host and guest and should not be interpreted to reflect the official position or policy of ACCP or the Emergency Medicine PRN.